Somebody did some, so I don't have to do all the time. <laughs> That's right. What homework? What yeah, what There's homework? <laughs> okay. If you will start us there, my friend. He's got, we're, I got one right here. We'll close with that one. Thank you so much. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments, has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. Um, we're looking, uh, this is lesson one. We are looking at First John. Uh, today is the 23rd. 30. The 30th. Well, I'm only a week off. The 30th of November, 2010. Um, we did have homework. If you, uh, if you didn't do any homework, uh, it's understandable. You only had a month. <laughs> no problem. It's okay. I didn't do any homework. <laughs> um, we're looking at the book thematically. The book of First John, as we saw last uh, last week, we're looking at the book thematically. I think this thing's going to work for me here. Maybe not. You got them both on the same wireless? Yeah. Because Jonathan's got a long arm and he can just keep hitting the cursor. There we go. Okay. I got it. We're studying the book thematically. What doing it thematically does is gives us an opportunity to uh, read the book. Uh, well, first of all, John jumps around a lot when he writes. Um, that's not bad. It's just it's not our normal style of, of writing in this age of short attention spans. So by doing it thematically, we're able to take chunks on a theme. But it also gives us an opportunity then to also look at keywords, which are very, very important. Keywords are important because they are uh, words that arise. They're common to Christian thinking and Christian thought, but that's only because they've been co-opted. And I don't mean that in a totally negative way, but it means that they've been given new de- definitions so that they actually become blanked out in your mind. Can you think of some phrases from First John? Anybody that read this week? Some phrases that seem to make perfect sense but you have no idea what it really means. I mean, because it's common Christian language. God is light. God is light. And in Him there is no darkness. You know the Father. You know the Father. These are common phrases that we have, that we, from Christian backgrounds, have become so familiar with, we don't really think about where their origin is. And it's the origin that we want to look at. Our goal, by looking at it thematically, is to take these key words and be able to look back to an origin that is further back than Christian thinking. Now, nothing wrong with Christian thinking, but it didn't originate with Augustine, Origen, and others 
applying Neoplatonism to the Bible. It originated from sources long before the apostles, the language that 1 John is written in. The themes that he uses are not are not uh, off the wall, not unknown to Judaism of the day. In fact, they're not unknown to Judaism now. Shockingly. Sometimes people think that we're all talking the same language. There's a great book by Moshe Kapinski where he talks about uh, Christians speak one language and Orthodox Jews speak another language and it sounds the same, but they don't mean the same thing. And that's a lot what we're talking about here in First John. So our goal is to maybe uncover maybe what isn't so obvious to us because we've been so desensitized by the theology of the New Testament that we no longer read what it really is saying. So maybe we'll find some things that we hadn't thought about before. Maybe not. Oh, that works. Okay. Uh, as I said, our goal is to uncover authentic reading of the book, not one, not one that simply rehashes theological phrases. Again, if you if you if you study this book in any normal, maybe not in depth, but any normal, you know, study that doesn't require a lot of of uh, thought, it's going to cover. It's going to gloss over all these phrases. It's just going to gloss over them. Because you know what they mean. God's light. Of course you know he's light. He is? How's he light? Does that make him, we talked about last last time, does it make him a wave? Or does that make him a photon? Is he a particle? Or is he a wave? And if he's a particle, when does the wave collapse? I'm sorry. These are, well, yeah, well, maybe not. (laughs) For you and I, they're not deep at all. I'm not working this thing. I had... Oh, that didn't work. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. I have no idea what happened to my keyboard now. All right. Somebody hit the key. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Purpose for writing. You did the study. If you did the study, let's discuss it. Uh, few writers in the Bible tell you plainly what they're writing. First John, he does a great job. He tells you right up front. Well, not right up front, but the way we organized it, he told you right up front. And it was pretty obvious to find, wasn't it? Or was it? That goes out again. This don't is not do, working. Don't do that. Don't, whatever I did, don't do that. This, this thing space. is... Try space. I can't get the keyboard back. Do this. <sighs> Thank you. There we go. Okay, let's look, at, let's look at all the ones. Now, you list them. At, you have a table. You have them all listed. Look at, one, look at chapter 1, verse 4. Somebody read... Uh, if you got your Bibles, or if you got your workbook, go to 1 John 1, verse 4. read it? Yeah, please. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Okay, he's writing it, that our joy might be full. Our joy? Who's, first of all, who's, who's we? He says we. Who's we? Who is we? He tells you, who's we? Is it him and Silas? Him and Paul wrote it. Who, who's, who's we? Go back to verse, chapter 1, verse 1. 
What's it say in chapter 1, verse 1? It says, That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we saw and our hands touched, concerning the word of life, and the life was revealed, and we have seen and testify and declare to you the life, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was revealed to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you may also have fellowship with us. Who's we? It tells you. Well, not just we. No, no. He's saying he's saying these are people that heard, saw, and touched. Eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. Who's we? The apostles. The first disciples. They're we. So he's saying, is the letter from them? Not really. But he's saying, he's starting off by saying, listen, here are our credentials. But the purpose for our credentials is so that you can listen and know that this is the truth. We're talking about a relationship. He says, a relationship that, boy, this is some weighty stuff. Think about the words that we're reading here. If you don't know the definitions to these words in Christian theology, this is some really tightly packed sentence here. sentences. Concerning the word of life, and the life was revealed, and we have seen, and testify, and declare to you the life, the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was revealed to us. What does all that mean? That Messiah is eternal life. Messiah is eternal life. Well, how does, what, is it, what does Messiah mention there? Well, the life was manifested. Ah, you see, he assumes you've know, you know some other stuff. Yeah. See, he's not, assu- he's not assuming at all when he writes this to the people that are receiving it that they're unaware of the language that he's using. So when he talks about the word, who's he talking about? Not what. Right. Who? Right. Who? Now, you, you find that common. Well, that's, of course, we all know the word is, the word is Jesus. Come on, the word's Jesus. We know the word. But you see, you need to understand that that's, you only know that because you've been given the glossary. Right? I'm challenging you that you don't always need to accept the glossary as you have received it. Ask the question. Is the definition of this phrase or this word consistent? Maybe it is. And in this case, I would say the word is absolutely consistent with the idea of Messiah being manifest. Why? What other, what other book did this person write? John. John. Later. Later. Afterwards. Actually, that's what's cool. You think, well, did you read my first book? Oh, the first book was First John. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, anyway, the beginning was the word, and the word. That's it. Yeah. So that's the first. That's the first one. That our joy might be fulfilled. Why does he switch between plural and singular? Because later on, chapter two, chapter two, verse one, he says, "I write to you." Why does he switch? What was the plural for? Say we were eyewitnesses. We touched. Listen, our. Why is that important? Especially anybody that knows anything about doceticism. Or Gnosticism. Why is it important to them to say, we touched him? Because it's not an ethereal idea. He's not just an emanation of God. Right. He, is, he is physical, right? We touched him. So he's, he's laying his credentials out, but he's also making a theological point. Nah, I shouldn't say that. He's not making a theological point. He's making a very practical point. Listen, you can trust us. We, we were there with him. I mean, if he has said it, we heard it. That's as, that's as close as you get, right? We're not talking about someone that we heard about. We know him. And then he's making this jump that's saying, 
And you know him. How do they know him? How do they know him? Who, no, no. How does the people that are receiving this letter know him? Don't get ethereal on me. How do they know him? We told you. <laughs> that's it. That's a pretty... That's a pretty... Can you trust people that just tell... Look, okay, it's second hand, but I know him because of second hand. That's not the way we talk today. But because they were eyewitnesses. What's the, what's the, what's the uh, importance of an eyewitness? Or three. You establish... You establish the truth. The facts are established. By two or three, the truth is established. When it says established, it means to be held secure and cannot be shaken. So what has he done right away? Right away? He's saying, your relationship comes because we have established the facts. You know him because we told you about him. That's good enough. That's a pretty remarkable thing. No, I have to have a feeling in my heart. And then, is we important? Because of two or three is needed. Exactly. Now, why does he switch to singular then? I, I'm not looking for something deep. It's just because he's the one writing it. Well, now he's going to exhort them. Exactly. Now, now he's talking from his own. Self. This is me. I'm talking to you. That's right. Exactly. I mean, it's not hard. <laughs> okay. Let's see if this works now. Yay. Okay. Two, uh, the next one was in uh, chapter 2, verse 1a. Somebody read that if you can. The first part of that verse. My children, I am writing you these things so that you won't sin. Okay, purpose for writing? So you won't sin. A certain group of people so they won't sin. Would you agree with that? Okay. And 2.12. I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. Well, that's an interesting switch. One is so you don't sin, and the other is so because your sins were forgiven. If your sins were forgiven, why would you need someone to write you a letter so you won't sin? Well, that's good. I like that. That's very good. I like that. You get that? Get that? That's always something you're looking for is parallelism, not contrasts. Although contrast exists in Scripture, the predominant model is not a contrast. That's Western thinking. The predominant model in the Bible is parallelism. Things that are similar. Trying to draw truth out of something by comparing it to something else. Similar. Right? God is light. And in Him there is no darkness. Oh, can't see that. Uh, because you know, verse uh, verse 13 is uh, says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you little children because you know the father. Why does he write? So you won't sin. Why does he write? So that, Because your sins were forgiven. Why does he write? Because you know him who is from the beginning. Why does he write? Because you have overcome the evil one. Why does he write? Because you know the Father. The Seems like a lot of reasons to write. Do you have Do you have your your text right there? Well, I have mine. No, no, the text that's in the, the in the workbook. How's it How's it formatted? I don't have the got that text in the workbook. How's it formatted? He's got. It is it a special formatting? 
No, then it's not present tense, so it's it's most likely past perfect, and, or or uh, or, pos- or just perfect tense. Yeah. Have known is perfect. Yeah. Have known. It is it is a past truth that has ongoing results. Does that make sense? Consequences. Consequences yeah. Uh, verse fourteen. Oh, we did. Uh, did we do fourteen? No. No. What's fourteen? Says because you have because you know him who is from the beginning. Actually, it says I have written to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong. The word of God remains in you and you have overcome the evil one. He's got a lot of reasons to write. That's the second time you said it. You've yeah. overcome the evil one. You've overcome the evil one. That's right. Who overcame the evil one? Mm. Young men. Yeah, cool. Verse 21. Somebody read 21 for me. Who is a liar but he who denies that Yeshua is the Messiah? He is the anti-Messiah who denies the Father and the Son. Am I on the wrong verse there? Is no. that chapter 2, verse 1 to 21? I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. That was a good verse, though. <laughs> I have Okay, here it is. He's not written because you don't know the truth, because you do know it. You know, they know the truth. Well, what's he writing into them for? They know the truth. Don't you read the Bible to figure out what the truth is? So, why would anybody need to write you another letter and tell you? You got the truth. You got the truth. Yes, sir. And that's the next one. Chapter 5, verse 13. Do you have it right there? Mm. You keep in the person and power of the Son of God. Isn't that it? Wow, that's it. What's the purpose for writing First John? All of those things. But isn't that the big one? Isn't that like, doesn't that, let me ask you this. You can answer honestly. Does that not sum up everything we've talked about? What does he say? That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may be continued to believe in the name of the Son of God. Let's forget, let's set aside what those mean right now. Let's just think about, does that sound like it kind of sums it up in good Christian thinking? Absolutely. Okay? So, uh, tell me, what's the purpose for writing First John? That you may know that you have eternal life. I think it's probably that, if you want to give a nice short little, that's it, that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you will continue to believe that you will. Wow. Wow. You know, that, that's exactly. You know, now I want you to set aside that, that icon that you have for the word, the phrase, eternal life. And I want you to set aside that icon that you have for the phrase, believe in the name of the Son of God. What does that sentence mean without those two packed concepts theologically in Christian theology does it mean anything at all so this is the whole purpose for the book and it really comes down to understanding those two phrases to understand his purpose not to saying we're finished with the book after this but understand the reason why he started to write it it comes down to those two phrases think about that so if you're Eternal not life if you're not in the club and you don't know the secret handshake, this book cannot work for you. 
I think that's probably an accurate thing. Ironically, Gnosticism says you have to be in the secret club, otherwise you don't get it. This is the, this is the one thing that I, I told you last time, that I'm so intrigued by John. Because he uses the language of the adversary and he is un, and he's unafraid to do it. Because it's the right language. He knows that the language has been co-opted by the Gnostics. He knows that people are twisting the words of, of many things that have been said about Messiah. And yet he still is unafraid to use the same language. Talking about eternal life. You and I may be familiar with that concept. That is not something that's easy to wrap your mind around. Judah, my youngest, every night he has to call his mother in. I have another question. He's going to bed. I have another question. I have another question. Well, the other night it was a question. I just don't get it. How does it go on and on and on? It's not just a nine-year-old that struggles with that idea. Infinity is a concept that is infinite that cannot be comprehended. To tell me I have eternal life is beyond my comprehension. And yet I'm supposed to be thinking that this is a very important reason to write this book. It's beyond my comprehension. It is. I mean, it cannot be fully grasped. You know, we talked about this last time. When we've been there 10,000 years, it's, it's only just begun. No, that's not right. That's a human understanding of infinity. That is not that is not infinity. It does not have a 10,000 years. <laughs> it's immeasurable. It doesn't have a linear concept where you go there was yesterday. Think about that for a second. There was no yesterday in eternity. Okay, so let's say we're in eternal life. We're walking let's assume that eternal life has something to do with living forever. Let's say we're in heaven in no. eternal life. And we're walking around on golden streets and we do the things like during one day and then the next day but it's not divided by night and day because it's all day. So we never went to sleep but we knew it was a while ago. We go, do you remember when we were walking in the street earlier today? Or yesterday, as it were? There's no such thing. You can't say, remember earlier? Think about it for a moment. <laughs> it's incomprehensible. If that is what eternal life means. Why do I need to know about that? But here's the promise. You get to live forever. I'm sorry, there's a lot of people have been run screaming out of the room when they got to describe the live forever part. Sounds like a good deal up front, but when you start talking about it that way, there's no a second ago, and there's no a second next second. There's none of that. It's just an existence? Well, why is that good? That's like being frozen in... In, uh, in ice or something, right? Suspended animation. Suspended animation. Is that what eternal life is? Could be. So is that what he's talking about? My challenge to you is, I'm not saying either way. I'm not saying either way. My challenge is, shake up the way you think. Don't think of yourself as walking on golden streets in heaven. First of all, that's not going to happen. But other than that, don't think, and it's not because you're damned. It's because no one's going to be doing that. Think about it for a moment. With the loved ones that went before me, you know, that's, that's a lot of times oh, yeah. about oh, sure. I can't wait till I see my loved one. You know, that's kind of a... it's awful. That's an rather big assumption. Yeah. 
Do you ever say that we're going to see our loved ones again? It says, be comforted with these words that they won't precede you wherever it is. That we will, we will, we will know and be known. Yeah. It, it used to be in Christianity 40, 50 years ago prior that the concept was that the phraseology that was used more prominently, more prominently was eternal rest. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, as you pointed out so eloquently, you know, we really have we really have no real concept. But as we, in our own finite, limited selves, try to understand <clears throat> the eternal rest concept, I think helps me anyway because. Sure. It's a to me that's that when I hear when I hear rest I immediately think Yom Shekalo Shabbat a day, a day that is always Shabbat. Shabbat absolutely so it's a, it's it's Shabbat that never yep ever ends now that makes that, sense okay but wait wait don't go there yet thank you very much and by the way I'm not saying we shouldn't struggle to discover what it means oh we can't know it so I don't I don't I don't go there we want. There is nothing that is, that is unworthy of our study. It's just our conclusions we need to be careful of. We can't make conclusions of things that Scripture doesn't say. We can speculate. So speculating you're in heaven, that's a bad speculation, by the way. Why? We're never told we'll be in heaven. Heaven is the abode of God. Heaven is a circumlocution for the Almighty. Where will we be? Where will Messiah be is more importantly. And so we'll be, God willing, we'll be with him, right? Who's the audience? This book. The plural is used all the way through in all of the purpose clauses. All the ones we verse, all the verses we looked up there, plural. You is plural. You, you, you. He's talking to multiple people. He's He's writing to a group, but he's also writing to subgroups, is he not? What are the subgroups? Fathers, young men, children, right? Who's the larger group? He doesn't say right off. We'll, we'll, we'll find a conclusion here. In the, but all the de- this is what I said. All the de- definitions of the smaller group, fathers, young men, children, would we say that they all apply to the larger group? S- specifically, when we get to chapter 5, verse 13, which seems to sum it all up, it seems that all of the things apply to all the people. So, if you're not a father, does the father instructions or the father exhortations, statements, do they apply to you if you're not a father? If you're not a child, I'm not a child. Does it apply to me? What's it talking about? You spent some time on it. There's the three groups. You spent some time on it. It looks like a little children. Uh, tech, give me the correct pronunciation. Technion. It's the plural diminutive for, for child or, or small person. A young person. It literally means a non-gender, plural, children. Children. Children is what it's saying. Little children. It's saying not just offspring, but little offspring. So, did he write the letter to five-year-olds? Is that who he wrote it to? Or is that one of the recipients? That's the question. Uh, and, you know, it may, seem, it, it may seem like a silly exercise, guys. You may think, well, I know all this. Come on. Of course he's not talking to little children. He's talking about something else. And we all know what it is. 
But can you articulate it? Well, you know what? We, you, you, say <laughs> that. you say that, but I, I don't believe that. Because I looked up through John 13, and I thought to myself, exactly what you just said. Uh-huh. It, he's not writing to children. He's, this is a term of endearment. <laughs> and then I flipped over, and I, and, Oops. <laughs> and I remembered that, you know, we have to have faith like little children. And Very I hear good. people in the visible church telling me that, I mean, to be stupid, yeah. I mean, to be stupid, yeah. Yeah, I need to just turn off the brain. Exactly. So, we clearly need to talk about it. We do. Some folks don't get it. But part of this exercise is not just, I mean, mean, maybe we do, maybe we don't. The point of the exercise, though, is to show you that you cannot simply accept the language that that is delivered as has been delivered from a pulpit to you in previous times. You've got to ask the question, who are little children? Maybe. We're going to read the verses. Let's just. We're going to read the verses. We have to. Okay. <laughs> okay John, I, I went too far. John five. Uh, John uh, thirteen thirty three. This is Yeshua speaking. Who's he calling little children here? He's calling his disciples. He's calling his disciples. Are they children? No. But maybe, as Joseph said, maybe it's term of endearment. Okay. Let's see. He says, "Little children, I speaking Yeshua speaking." shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, and he goes on. So he's calling his disciples little children. Maybe it's a term of endearment. Good coin. Galatians 4.19. Here's Paul speaking. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Messiah is formed in you. Well, maybe now it's just a matter of a nice analogy. He's talking about being labored, laboring in birth which is a metaphor. In case you don't know, that's a metaphor. Paul can't birth anyone, but he's laboring in birth, so he's having little children. So that's a nice follow-on. He's not mixing his metaphors. It's all nice lined up. By the way, it's that formed, in case you were asking, formed when? Formed is in the subjunctive, which means that it is a possible yes and possible no. I labored, but I don't know if you're stillborn or breathing. That's what Paul's saying. That's kind of disturbing a little bit, right? Sounds real nice here. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again, until Messiah is formed in you. That little phrase, until Messiah is formed in you, is not a good phrase. If you're worried about whether you have eternal life. Paul's saying, maybe he isn't. Maybe he wasn't. I labored, but who knows if it took. Right? To, oh yeah, and this is, this is the connection. Little children, what is the thing that little children? It was written so you may not sin, your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Okay? What, you said, what could little children be? What did you say, Johnny? I thought it had to do with their spiritual development. Okay, maybe far, spiritual how, development? How far are they in? Sure. Let's, 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 let me ask you to step out of the use of the word spiritual. Not that that was wrong. Okay, okay. Give me another definition. Their relationship and, and how, you know, how, how their walk has been affected by their Very recent good. salvation. Their depth of their faith. Okay, everybody else, what did Johnny just do? Oh. What did he switch from? He switched from? Greek, Greek to Hebrew. Thing. There you go. That's pretty, that was easy, wasn't it? <laughs> good job. Yes, exactly. So maybe, maybe little children are people who have just begun a walk of faith. 
That's right, the baby in Christ. They've just begun a walk in faith. Maybe they're not too good with... I, I can't remember. Is it, is it all meat or just pig that we're not supposed to eat? You know. Okay, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> Was it cloven hooves and chew the cud or just cloven hooves that make it okay? He does it all the time. He does. He talks about sure. being... You know, on the milk of the word, and we ought to be on the meat now. You know, he calls Timothy his son. Absolutely, yeah. There's this constant. Sure. I've been doing and walking this longer than you, therefore I'm bringing you along. Again, I'm not asking you to ditch everything you know about the apostolic scriptures. What I'm asking you to do is to examine if it's correct. So. The view, the metaphor, that one who is a new believer, let's put it differently, a new disciple, could be called a little child, is absolutely a great perspective. Is that bad? Well, what's the, what does he tell them about? Your sins have been forgiven. Thank God Almighty, my sins have been forgiven. No, that wasn't what he said. <laughs> But I am free at last. Your sins have been forgiven, right? And that you not continue in sin. What does that remind you? When someone says, a new disciple, not to continue in sin. Anybody? Paul? Yeshua, maybe not so much because he's talking to grown-ups. Think about Yeshua. Who's who's his audience? Are they people that that have been living pagan lifestyles? No. The people have been grown up in the faith. Didn't he do it to the woman who there was ah, no? go very good. No go and sin no more. Very good. Someone else? How about Acts chapter 15? You know, <laughs> y'all are bringing lots of baggage into the synagogue. Want to, we don't want to burn these. We got, we got four things you can't bring in. We'll start small. Well, it's pretty big, actually. We'll start with these big things and we'll work on the fine points so that you can really readily identify the difference between a kosher fish and a non-kosher fish later. Until then, follow through with us. Okay? You agree? That sound... So this is not hard. We basically came up with a conclusion that it was kind of what we would have thought in the beginning. Little children talking about people who are maybe have no spiritual depth. Or as you more correctly said it, have just now begun to walk after Messiah. It's easy to do. Yes, sir. Cool. And, uh, no, no. I'll say sir to you. Okay. So, but but uh, these a lot of these writers were influenced by the writings. Absolutely. Around them. Absolutely. So sometimes the use of my children was a. I might say a. Style. Absolutely. Any great meaning, maybe, maybe, maybe he meant, oh, you know, okay, children, oh, that's a good thing, okay, and well, their sins have been forgiven. That's like, you know, that they just figured it all out. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're right, absolutely, and that's that's one of my points is that the style is not Plato. <clears throat> well, it's like when he said, you know, the whole dilemma of God, they didn't really mean a fuzzy four-legged mammal. No, but everybody kind of figured out, well, we know that means. But it wasn't necessarily what everybody else thinks. He didn't have to explain it either. No, he didn't. And that's part of the use, and that's part of the rediscovering of the language of the Bible. Because no one knows it. We are all discovering it. 
it is. There we go. All right, we got to move on. Young men, pronounce that for me, Greek speakers. Yeah, Young men. That's all it means. Acts two seventeen, which says, "And it shall come to pass that in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh." Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Does it mean young men? Maybe. That sounds like young men, doesn't it? Are only the young men going to see visions? How about 2.13? Excuse me, this is where the young man, he brings up the young man. You've overcome the evil one. You're strong. Kind of goes with that. The word of God remains in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Does that line of thinking that this is a, this is this is a not a length of discipleship, but a depth of discipleship? Okay, these are people that are pretty strong in the path after Messiah, right? Well, yeah, they're they're strong. They overcome the evil one. That's pretty. That's a pretty profound statement. You overcome the evil it's, one. Uh, it's almost like warrior. It is. Yep. Young men, perfect. Yeah, he's per- he gave you the perfect metaphor there. By the way. Anybody that has spent any time reading uh, uh, works of rabbinic Judaism, can you draw a parallel to this one? Young men, overcome the evil one. It's the name of this class. A tzaddik. A tzaddik. A tzaddik has struggled so against Christian language, the flesh. Judaism's language the Yetzer Hara. He has so struggled against it, he has conquered it. The Zadik is perfect. Doesn't mean he's sinless. It means that he's perfect. He's complete. He has not arrived, rest on his laurels, but he has achieved a state. It's not even a state. He has, he is exhibiting a life that is not motivated more by Yetzirah, and instead more by the Spirit Himself. Right? That's pretty... That's Judaism. So does does John mean to draw us into that picture? Overcome the evil one. King David said, Thy word have I hidden my heart. My sin against against you. you. Yeah. And this guy is saying, the word of God remains in you. It's pretty, uh, pretty powerful language. It's especially powerful language if you consider the fact that this is not the end of the progression, because the next one is fathers. It's like, wait, wait, wait. There's another step. Well, the, and the other thing that 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 verse and that concept brings out is who is the evil one? That I am. He doesn't say, does he? But most. What do most people think? Most people that read this book, when people come up from a Christian background, right? What are they going to say? Hasatan. It's the devil. The devil made me do it. It's not to deny a personal reality, which Judaism, for the most part, does. It's not to deny that there is a personal individual, a individual who is evil, who is Hasatan. However, he is not the only enemy that we have. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The flesh, Yetzer Hara. That is the inclination 
to do evil rests in all men. Funny that Judaism that doesn't believe in original sin has no problem with Yetzirah. They also don't believe that once you've achieved a certain level of tzaddik that you're completely... They don't say that you should be completely free of... Oh no, of course not. They, mm-hmm. want, they want you to... Under its, no longer under its influence. You've conquered the evil one. Reapply it. And reapply it and say, I want to be righteous like this guy is. I want to know as much of the scripture as this guy does or something like that. It's, so a covetous person, the Yetzirah, is to be stingy, maybe even a thief. And what is the Tzadik? The Tzadik takes that same predisposition and becomes a man of charity, a man of immense generosity. That's pretty remarkable when you think about it. And it really, I mean, I'm not saying either way, but it seems to follow along a lot with what we get from the teachings of Yeshua himself. Not just the apostolic writers, but Yeshua himself seems to go along those ways. We mentioned the evil inclination. The evil inclination. Fathers, okay, there's not, young men are not enough, thank you very much. Well, I kind of stopped thinking of myself as a young man a little while ago, but <laughs> in my mind, I still am. <laughs> um, but I'm not. I'm an elder. I'm a father. Uh, and the plural there is padtera. Matthew 3, 9. Abraham is the father. You, you know, he's, he's called the father. In Matthew 3, 9, he says, Do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. How many people living in Yeshua's day had Abraham as their father? None. Not one. The definition of father is what? Who was sired me through my mother. That's it. That's father. We are, we're obviously talking about something not father. Right. We're talking about an ancestor maybe? Maybe. That's kind of what they're saying. But is that all they were saying? What do we say in the, what do we say in the morning prayers? Why do we say Abraham is our father? Why? It's because is it because he's it's a really good thing to have him for an ancestor? It is, but is that the reason why? It's because the promises that were given to him. Ah, so it's that he was a follower of Hashem, and I'm a follower of Hashem. He's the one I'm following his example to follow Hashem, right? Would you agree? He's the foundation of he's the father of faith. That's right. So father doesn't mean, here doesn't mean a actual physical father. It means a leader or a, 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 a forebearer. The headwaters, as it were. Right? Does that make sense? How about Luke 6.26? He says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, so did their fathers to the false prophets. That's ancestors, right? Everybody agree? Talk about ancestors there. In uh, 631, he's talking about ancestors as well. John 631, our fathers ate the man in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. <clears throat> talking about their ancestors. And then, again, Roman, uh, Romans 411, actually all of Romans 4, he talks about Abraham as a father of faith. One little word. When you use the word patriarch, yes. you have to remember that that's just another term from Pater. That's exactly where it comes from. Yep, that's a very good point. Patriarchs, the patriarchs are our fathers, that's why, that's why avot, the Hebrew avot, 
which actually is a more of an Aramaic word, a vote. Joshua likes to point out, why is there a feminine plural on a masculine word? Uh, a vote. Uh, we have uh, our fathers, which we call in English patriarchs. The patriarchs, the three patriarchs, which is, comes from Latin, from father. Pater. Acts 22, 1. Here, Paul's addressing, he's about, he's, he's being arrested, almost arrested, and he's saying, hey, hey, everybody, and I want to talk to you fathers. He's talking to the elders of Israel. Okay. And then in 1 Timothy, uh, in 1 Timothy 5, 1, he says, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. That is talking about a real father. Exhort an older man as you would your father. Would you agree? So when he's talking to fathers in 1 John, is he talking to... We've already made the conclusion that we have some sort of with some sort of progression or depth of walk or discipleship that's being talked about. So it stands to reason that fathers, you've known him from the beginning. You have a long relationship with the master. That's what he's saying. You've known him from the beginning. Long time ago. I'm writing to you because you've known him for a long time. Actually, it's not time. It's depth. You have known him from the beginning. You have an intimate knowledge of him. Well, your father your whole life. <laughs> well, no, no. Well, that's that's true. But are you? Okay. Well, I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands. But can you identify with one of these three groups? Just think about it in your head. Any one of them. Any one of the three groups. I want you to think about where you. <clears throat> would find yourself. I'm not saying that's where you are. I'm just saying where would you think you would be in this group? And if you're a young man, it can't be a young man unless you're a young man. And you can't be a child unless you're really a child. And you can't be a father unless you're really a father. But can you? Can a child be father? You've known him from the beginning. What was Yeshua like at age 12? Going to the temple. He was asking questions that baffled the sages. You've known him from the beginning. Oh yes. Oh yes. There's a great example. Great example. Young men. Can we have people, or maybe there's older people. Women are included, by the way. Older people that just have never stepped beyond, I can't remember, are we supposed to have Sunday or Saturday a day of rest? I can't remember. Seems like there's a lot of people maybe that are following after Messiah or think they are that maybe if they are at all are little children. Their sins have been forgiven. Then that's about it. I, I find myself in all three. I think so. That's where I find myself, too. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. I shouldn't have put it that way, find yourself in one of them. Because I, you know, I can identify with all three. It's like, wow. Yeah, I, sometimes I'm pretty stupid. Um, yeah. There's just areas of the, of the walk yeah. that are just so brand new, and you're like, oh, we're, yeah. we're starting all over here. Learning yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about the big group. We've got the little groups, little divisions here. But he's really trying to address people. He's trying to encourage people from where they are. That's a really big point here. He's trying early on. By the way, these verses are found in chapter 1 and chapter 2 mostly. So his point in writing 
his purpose is really writing to encourage people where they are, provided they are where they're supposed to be. Would you agree? This was this book written to was this the book that, you know, they tell you when you first if if Alex were here you'd tell us, you know, the first thing you should hand somebody after you after you preach to him in the street is the book Gospel of John, read the Gospel of John. Is this the book that you would do that for? What's what's the purpose for this book? This book is not a book for uh, people that are investigating or or trying to find Messiah. This is not the book for them. This is a book for people that know him. But maybe need encouragement in that knowledge. So when we talk about the big group, we're talking about this. Believe in the name. What is it to believe in the name? How many of you have ever sat, and we only have 10 more minutes, how many of you have ever sat in a church or a group setting and at the conclusion, the preacher was, I'm I'm not trying to be facetious here, but the preacher was burdened greatly that what he preached might have been laid upon someone's heart. And he asks everyone to close their eyes. No one looking around. Bow your heads. I want everybody's eyes closed. No one looking around. It doesn't matter that, that, the, that the Dallas Cowboys will start playing in, in an hour. I want you to put that out of your mind. I want you to just cut. This is the time. This is the time for decisions. I want everybody to close your eyes. Everybody's got their eyes closed. If you think that you'd like to accept Jesus into your heart this morning and have your life change, would you raise your hand? Thank you. I see that hand. Two in the back, I see you. I see that hand. Thank you, ma'am. Now, I want you to take the first step in discipleship. And I want you to make sure that you check that box on your invitation card so that we can pray for you. Who's heard that? How many times have you heard that? You've never heard that? No, not about checking the box. Okay, well, that's the new one for you then. Tell someone. Tell someone. Tell someone, yeah. Uh, you know, if we watched a Billy Grant crusade, we saw something like that. Is uh, I, I want your honest thoughts, because y'all aren't talking much. I'm thinking maybe you didn't do any homework. <laughs> I want your honest thoughts. Is that, do you think that has anything to do with believe in the name of the Son of God? If not, Why? Other than your homework. <laughs> I think that presentation does not present that one properly. And therefore, they, have, they cannot possibly count the cost of discipleship, um, consider the depth of their sin, and they've been given a wonderful opportunity and a cure to a disease that they have not heard about. That's good. I like it. As a contrast to the typical formula, we'll say, uh, I remember when I was 
fairly young believer, you know, a little child perhaps. And I listened to a, this was a Christian evangelist, who I will not name, but he, um, at the end of his sermon, you know, and, it, and he was kind of a, you know, kind of a hellfire and brimstone sort of. Jonathan Edwards. And um, he gets to the end, and he Actually, gets no. to the altar call, and he says, I want every eye open, I want every head up, and oh, wow. everybody yeah. looking around. Shock. <laughs> he, said, he said, Messiah said, if you are ashamed uh, of me before men, he will be ashamed of you before his father. And, and, and so, if you stand up and go forward, and all your you know, friends, people, whatever, are laughing and ridicule, whatever the case may be, get used to that's exhibiting true belief in the name because you have taken, you've, you've put yourself potentially in, in uh, harm's way or in the line of ridicule and whatever for something that you truly believe in. Who is the guy on YouTube, the preacher on YouTube, that started off his sermon by saying, everybody in here is going to hate me by the end of this? You remember, y'all remember that? It's like three, three years ago. I'm sorry. I should have. I should have looked it up. Still, very similar. Very similar concepts. Like, man, I'm sorry. There's nothing easy about this. There's nothing. Uh, there's nothing nice. Uh, if you came here to be, you know, pumped up, forget it. I'll, I'll beat you up. That's another. Re- that's a whole other subject. Why we shouldn't have people that are paid to preach. But yes, the the, the whole notion. The whole notion that. Well, first of all, what is what? Is, go to, go to the reverse. What is not the reverse, but as a contrast, what does Judaism do to a, a convert, a, a potential convert? I'm coming to Shemai. I'm saying, well, no, it's like here I am. Uh, I think I'd like. I think I'd like to convert to Judaism. What does Shemai do to me? He smacks me on the, and he doesn't even have the have the have the courage to tell me why. Just get out of here. It's like no, go away. Okay, so I go to Hallel. I, I, I'd, I'd like to be a convert to Judaism. What does Hillel do? Does he go? You know that Shemai's a meanie. Let me tell you that. Oh, we welcome you. Did he does? Does, does Hillel do that? No. Hillel says, "No, you don't understand. Being a Jew is a difficult thing. It's not an easy thing. You don't want it." I go away and I come back. You know, I come and say, "You know, I, I'm pretty sure I really do." I come back. I'm, I'm pretty sure I do. I can. I can tell you, you don't. You know, we are the most hated of people. I mean, Japanese get a country called Japan, but Jews don't get a land called Israel unless they're, you know, unless they're somehow hateful. You know, I was like, why do Jews not get a land called Israel? Japanese get a land called Japan. Joshua told me that. It's pretty. It's pretty. That's pretty remarkable thought. That Zionism is the opposite of anti-Semitism. But you know, here's so. You don't want to be a part of us. No, it's too hard. Okay. The third time I go back, listen, I'm positive. I'm positive. I said, okay. But you understand the, the difficulty that you're about to go on. This will not be fun. I've warned you. But if you're certain, let's start. You know, that, that contrast is, is remarkable. And that's more like your first saying every, every eye open. I'd go a little bit step, step further. The point is, the point that I'm making, not to denigrate people who have raise their hand and walk denial or whatever else because God works in many ways to bring people to himself. 
It's not to, not to deny that God doesn't use that. The point is, though, that's not discipleship. That is a first step, but it may be a first step to nothing. This book's written that you may know that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you, I know I walked aisle, of course I got eternal life. I know I believed in His name. I raised my hand. We're going to go there. It's the Greek, you know, so, okay, I feel it in my head. We're going to go there. I believe this moment, you know, in the very simple way, action somehow walked out. Let's, let's follow through on that, because that's, that's where we're going. 5.13, that you may know, actually here I'll read the whole verse. These things I have written to you, that you, that, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Okay? I've written to you that believe in the name of the Son of God. Is that a sacred name? Is that the na- secret name that he only told his disciples? Could it be? How to pronounce the four letters? You know, I mean, is it possible that that's the name? All you got to do is believe in the name. Look, you have to say the name. If you could say the name, then you know that you have eternal life. Is that what he's talking about? That's Greek thinking. That is Plato. That is not Bible. Bible is not about raising hands. Oh, there's nothing wrong with raising hands. Or walking aisles. Bible about is about living. Day in, day out. Falling down, getting dirty, getting back up, brushing yourself off, and continuing to follow. It's about walking in the wilderness. Right? Is it a formula? It's, is, it a, is it a sacred name? Look at John 1. Look at John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. So you have to receive him. Have you received Jesus in your heart? You know, by the way, and by the way, I have, nothing, I have, no, I have no problem with people who uh, use language with adults that's maybe incorrect. I do have a problem with people using language with children that's incorrect. Because they are, they're promoting a myth. You do not ask Jesus to come into your heart. Adults may think that and conceptualize that. Children don't do well with that. They set their, they set their, uh, 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 they set their marker on such things. And live lives oftentimes that are shipwrecked because of it. Well, I'm, I asked him into my heart. Why is, I, why is my life no different? I'm something wrong with me. Well, yeah, there is, but it's not because you did, <laughs> you did or didn't ask him into your heart. You don't ask him into your heart. The Bible never says anything like that. Ever. The only thing remotely like that is in the book of Revelation where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he's not talking to your heart. <laughs> Do we receive Him? Do we accept Him? It's a gift. And if for it to be a gift, you have to accept it. I'm sorry, that's not the truth. Many times I've been given things I did not want, and it was still a gift. Anybody ever been to a Christmas party where they had a white elephant? That's a gift. I don't want it. It's a gift. you got to take it. That's the rule. So the whole analogy doesn't work. It's, it is a gift. 
but it's not something that you have to receive in order to it to be, be efficacious. For it to work doesn't take your reception. And I'm not talking Calvinism. I'm talking about a walk. Right? Not simple one-time act, but a life. That's kind of where he's going. That you continue. Yes, sir? I was just saying, uh, there, you know, as, as zealous in the beginning of this walk, I would, I would sometimes be awfully hard on my Christian brother and say, you know, Jesus at never point said, if you pray me into your heart, you'll be saved. Of course and not. Stuff like that. It was, it was John and, and, and Yeshua both who were, were both talking action through repentance. That's right. Absolutely. See, you got right to the point of the matter. Uh, John 2.23 Now he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Okay, now tell me. That has nothing to do with accepting him. What does that mean when it says, I saw the signs and they believed in his name? What did that mean? In, in practical terms. People in Jerusalem, they go, I saw the guy raise the guy from the dead. I saw him heal the blind. It's the good works that he did. Testify to who he was. Oh, and what did they do because of it? That's my point. They believed. Okay, but they believed. How, give me another word for believe. Give me a phrase. Describe believing Follow. for me. Follow in what way? In his actions. His teachings. Be, be much more earthy. Be much more down to earth here. They walked out. They walked out. When they said, you know, Yeshua's in the temple. They go, he is? Let's go. <laughs> I'm serious. Why? I saw the miracles. I'm going to see some more. Believe in his name was a physical presence with him. I saw, that's the guy we saw. That was amazing. Let's go see. Right? I mean, think about it. You see, Oftentimes we like to spiritualize things to the point where we don't we forget the practical. If you were if you had heard about this and you had then seen what he had done, would you be sitting on your duff during Passover time and be going, "Hey, look, <laughs> there's nothing better to do. Let's go see." Right? Well, if you go see, you're believing in his name. Why? Did you go to did you go to expect to see nothing? There's action associated with Expectation. You expect what? You expect signs. The miracles, exactly right. They believed in his name meant that they followed, they went to where he was, expecting to see what they had seen before. Confident that he was the miracle worker. That's pretty that's pretty basic, isn't it? That's a pretty easy believe, isn't it? Yeah, because when he did that curing uh, or that feeding and he crossed over, well it went ahead. That's right. Look at the last, or actually this isn't the last, we're almost the last one. Uh, Acts 3.16. And, he, and, and his name, through faith in his name, he has made this man strong that you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundless in presence of all in presence of all of you. Talking about the, the, the healing of this, uh, was the blind man at the gates there. Or, Pool of Siloam. Uh, and his faith, through faith in his name. Yeah. Oh yeah, the lame. Yeah, the lame man. Faith in his name. They said, this is the one, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, I gave you, stand up and walk. What did he do? I don't believe it. I mean, we're not talking about a 
we're not talking about a big faith healing thing where people go, all you have to do is believe. That's not it. He just said, the guy said, I, I should walk, and okay, I'll walk. That's it. Believe in his name. By what name? By what name was he healed? The name of Messiah. Alone. No one else's name. Not Peter's name. Not John's name. John was there, by the way. That's really cool. All right. We're almost done here. John 17, 6. Yeshua said, I have manifested your name. I have manifested your name to the men who you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. This is Yeshua's, what's called his high priestly prayer. I have manifested your name. What is name in Hebrew? And what does it really mean to be given a name? Why is, why is the father name his children Specifically his sons on the eighth day. Why not when he's born? Right away. Do you know? Do you know why sons are not named? Huh? You don't know what he's like? It is, it is, it is about being prophetic, but it's also about being naming him for what he's like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Son of, yeah. Son of my, uh, son of my sorrow. <laughs> Okay, but the, I mean, you get the point here. The name is a matter of character. So when Yeshua says, I manifested your name, what did he say? I manifested your character. He says, here in, here in John is where he said it. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why do you say, show the Father to us, he said to his disciples. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's manifested a name. He's accurately represented him. Accurately represented him. So the name is to accurately represent. So what is it to believe in his name? Last one's Isaiah 50. I think it's awesome scripture. Who among you fears Adonai? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of Adonai and rely upon his God. The word trust is not, does not come from emunah. It's batach, which is to have confidence in. And to rely on him is to sha'an, to lean. Who fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness has no light? What does that sound like? Listen, I am in a dry and dusty land. I am in desperate need of righteousness. Because I have none of my own. What does this describe? You said it. It describes repentance. That's what it is to believe in the name. By the way, the Talmud makes this very correlation. The commentary on Isaiah, as you looked at this, as you looked this up, commentary on Isaiah uh, 50, verse 10, in Berkot 6b, by the way, the Thomas is best when it starts. Uh, if you want to ever start, just sit down reading. Berkot is awesome. What an awesome tractate. If a man is accustomed to attend synagogue daily and one, dies, and one day does not go, the Holy One, blessed is he, makes inquiry about him. For it is said, Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, now walketh in darkness, hath no light, and still he absenteth himself on account of some religious purpose, he shall have light. But if he absenteth himself on account of a worldly purpose, he shall have no light. Let him trust in the Lord. Why? Because he ought to have trusted in the name of the Lord, and he did not trust. It's repentance. It's continual repentance. It's 
living a life of repentance. So the commentary on, which by the way, isn't that cool? They use light? I wonder where John got it from. It's to trust. It's to repent. Conclusions. The book's written as an encouragement. Everybody agree? I know, it's kind of long. Maybe you're not encouraged tonight. But if you think about it, you'll be encouraged reading this. It's a book of encouragement. Those at various stages in their walk. Wherever you are, he's got something good for you. It was written so that you know that the group is made up of smaller groups. And that you know that the bigger group has a promise of eternal life. Even though we may haven't looked into what that is yet. We know that it's something good. (laughs) And to continue to believe in his name. That you could know that you have eternal life. And that you continue to believe in his name. To believe in the name is not a formula. It, in its Hebrew context, it means to faithfully follow. It's a life of repentance. Ongoing life of repentance. It means to fully follow Hashem and His Messiah. So the question, are you in one of the smaller groups? If so, are you in the larger group, the followers of Messiah? The book was written to that group and not. The group collectively and not individuals how can you be in a smaller group and not be in the larger group? You, are, you can't. Okay. That's my point. If you're in the smaller group, you're in a bigger group. Okay. Find yourself in one of those three, or all three in our case, and uh, you find yourself in the larger group. But it's not written to you alone. It's not for your own personal mandate. It's for a mandate to be lived and worked out in a community. In a community like this. Questions, comments, before we close? It seems like It's like this. That's right. I agree. I agree. Whereas... That's very good. Whereas young men, it's you overcame the evil one, you did all this stuff. Not to not to dismiss the vigor of youth, but a lot of times when you're young, it's like it's all it, it isn't with y'all, but it's all about you. Whereas when you're a father, it's not about you at all. <laughs> in fact, you last in the consideration. You're thinking about every well, excuse me. Wives are especially this way. Their mothers are especially this way. But fathers are supposed to be where everybody else comes first. And then, you know, whew, I get to relax. That's very good. I like it. We talked about the author last week, and at the end of my study, I, I went back to John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. It says, Many other signs, therefore, Yeshua also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things have been written that you may believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing that and that believing you may have life in his name. Yeah, it's see amazing how wonderful. And more evidence that first John and John are written by the same person because his themes he just are so interwoven. I love both of them. By the way, I reread a couple places from John and you may have picked up some of the language. The language of John is confusing to people, especially especially uh, people who are in Messianic Judaism sometimes because they read, sounds like John is somewhat anti-Semitic. As we've seen, that's impossible. But in, especially in his use of the word the Jews in, in, in Greek, 
it would have probably been more understood as Judeans. But regardless, it's not talking diminutively as we do, not we, as some do today when they say, well, the Jews, they did it. The Jews did that. Uh, he, would be, he would be inclusive. Yeah. But I, love, I love the way that John and 1 John really mesh well together. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you.